Happens contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Happens, where we uncover the evil that surrounds us. I'm your host, Chris. In this episode, we head to Northern California. It was a chilly spring night in the city of Roseville, with temperatures hovering in the mid-40s. At around 5 a.m. on March 8, 2008, Michelle and Paul White were startled out of their sleep by someone knocking loudly on their front door. Paul got out of bed and went to open the front door. He was surprised to see a young woman standing there, and even more surprised to see her hands were covered in blood. She told the Whites her name was Stephanie Ahrens. She explained to them that she had been attacked by three men when her car broke down. She told them she didn't want to call the police, but she did want to call her grandmother. Paul and Michelle brought her inside out of the cold and later drove Stephanie to her grandmother's house. Michael Smith responded to a tow service call on Old Willerga Road on March 8, 2008, at around 7.30 a.m. that same morning. Stephanie was already there with her grandmother waiting for him to arrive. Her car was under an oak tree, tangled up in barbed wire. Stephanie told Smith that she and her girlfriend were run off the road by another vehicle. Smith, who had seen his fair share of accidents, didn't think that this made any sense given the placement of her car. He also noticed blood on the driver's side door as well as between the seat and the center console, which definitely got his attention. Two days later, on March 10, 2008, the body of a young woman was found by a Placer County road maintenance worker on the side of Willerga Road, near Baseline Road in Roseville. Her body was located very close to the area where Stephanie said she was run off the road. The young woman was later identified as 24-year-old Alicia Ernst, Stephanie Aaron's best friend. At the scene, Alicia's body was covered with trash. Lying next to her body was an empty ammonia bottle, which was smeared with blood. Typically, a decomposing body would already have insect activity after two days of being exposed to the elements. In this case, there was no insect activity, and this was consistent with ammonia being poured over her entire body. Close to the body, authorities found a white plastic trash bag containing fresh blood, gloves saturated with blood, and a knife-like device with a four-inch blade and a triangle-shaped area where the handle had broken off. This device is also described as a wallpaper scraper. Anyone who has ever done any DIY painting in their home has probably seen one of these tools. According to the Placer County forensic pathologist, Alicia Ernst died in the early morning hours of March 8th 
2008. She sustained various sharp force injuries to her head and face, but the cause of death was multiple sharp force wounds to the neck. The neck wounds were from the left to the right and were consistent with having come from a single-edged razor-type tool. There were also post-mortem wounds on Alicia's fingers that were consistent with someone trying to shave off her fingerprints. The pathologist could not conclusively determine the direction of the attack unless he was present during the assault, but the injuries appeared to be consistent with an attack from the rear. Alicia sustained limited defensive wounds. More defensive wounds would be expected if she had been attacked from the side or the front. Her other wounds were consistent with an attack from the rear as well. Alicia Ernst was last seen in the company of her best friend, Stephanie Ahrens. Alicia and Stephanie had been friends since they were 13 years old. On the evening of March 7, 2008, the two best friends were going out together to celebrate Stephanie's 25th birthday. Sometime during the night, something went terribly wrong and Alicia wound up dead. The city of Roseville is located in Northern California and is situated 20 miles east of the state capital of Sacramento, at the base of the Sierra Nevada foothills. Back in the early 1800s, it was a stagecoach station called Griders. In the late 1800s, it was known as Junction because this was where the Central Pacific Railroad tracks met the California Central Railroad line. Junction eventually became known as Roseville. Roseville grew up fast thanks to the railroad, but its growth slowed when air travel became more commonplace. To counter its slowing growth, Roseville shifted its focus and became home to major shopping centers and major retailers. Big companies like Hewlett-Packard and NEC also drove more growth in the area. In 1985, the population was 30,000. By 2000, it was 74,000. And in 2008, it was 112,000. Roseville has seen rapid population growth in the past 20 years. When most people think of Roseville, they think of new neighborhoods, new schools, gated communities and shopping malls. Most people think of a higher quality of life and the low crime rates of a suburban city in the height of new development and investment. Many people moved here to escape the high housing costs, overcrowding, and crime of the San Francisco Bay Area, a hundred miles to the west. Most people have no idea that there is another side of Roseville. Since the early 1990s, criminal street gangs began arriving in Roseville. These gangs began forming in economically depressed older neighborhoods, particularly in the areas of Roseville Heights and the Teals neighborhood. As the gangs increased, the two major gangs in the area were only separated by the train yard. As time passed by, the gangs became more entrenched and crime began increasing. By late 2004 to early 2005, Gang assaults were becoming commonplace and evolved into a series of drive-by shootings. 
In the summer of 2005, the police department created the Crime Suspension Unit, a team comprised of five officers and one sergeant with a primary goal of reducing gang violence. Law enforcement was starting to make progress in reducing gang and its related drug activity, but in 2008, drugs were still readily available. Methamphetamine was and still is one of the biggest problems in Roseville. Even though Stephanie and Alicia were not involved with gangs, it's no surprise that Alicia and Stephanie were smoking meth or traveled in circles where their friends were also using or selling meth. How much their drug use affected their lives and events leading to Alicia's death is difficult to say, but it's probably safe to say that it was a contributing factor. Alicia Ernst was from Citrus Heights, which is a neighboring community to Roseville. Pictures of Alicia show a woman who is always smiling, has shoulder-length hair the color of Marilyn Monroe, and is surrounded by family. According to friends, Alicia was the girl who always made everyone laugh, and the one who went out of her way to make other people, especially her patients, feel special, friends said. Alicia's co-workers in Auburn said they remember an awesome girl. Rhonda Sullivan and Susan Vetter, both certified nurses' assistants, said they worked alongside Ernst at Siena Care Center in Auburn for almost two years. The two said they also worked with Ernst's mother at the same time. Alicia is described by her parents as being a beautiful young woman with a mischievous smile. She was working as a nursing assistant in two skilled nursing facilities. Alicia was proud of her ability to help others. She also loved going to the ocean, eating and creating new foods, enjoying great laughs, and spending time with family. Stephanie Ahrens, on the other hand, is described as a troubled, insecure, and jealous young woman who self-medicates with drugs and booze, just the opposite of Alicia. Interesting combination for best friends. When Alicia's body was identified, Placer County detectives Murchison and Wu immediately contacted Stephanie Ahrens. Stephanie was not just Alicia's best friend, but also the last person she was seen with. Detectives picked Stephanie up at about 9.10 p.m. on March 10, 2008. Detectives informed Stephanie that Alicia was dead and that her body was found in the same area where Stephanie's car had broken down. Stephanie denied knowing anything about Alicia's whereabouts or death and said that it was just a coincidence. Stephanie recounted the events of March 7th and March 8th for Detectives Murchison and Wu. She explained to them that March 7th was her 25th birthday and Alicia had come out with her to celebrate. Stephanie told detectives that she and Alicia had gone out, stopping at a bar for a drink. Stephanie wanted to continue on and go bar hopping, but Alicia wanted to stay where they were. Since Alicia didn't want to go with her, Stephanie says she went bar hopping by herself. Afterwards, Stephanie made a short pit stop at home and then headed over to another friend's house. She stayed with this friend until 3 a.m. 
and claimed that she was run off the road at around 4 a.m. After she was run off the road, Stephanie went knocking on doors looking for help, and that is how she ended up at the front door of Michelle and Paul White. Stephanie retraced her steps that night, taking detectives to the various bars she claims to have stopped at, and then took them to the remote road off of Willerga Road where her car got stuck. She told detectives that another car ran her off the road and a man came up and grabbed her by the neck, but the man was scared off when another car drove past. She denied knowing anything about Alicia's murder and she demanded to be taken home. Detectives did take her home, but once they got there and saw the condition of her car, they arrested Stephanie on suspicion of murder. She was held in the Placer County Jail without bail. A search of Stephanie's car found red stains on both the driver and passenger side doors, along with gouges and scratches on the roof and hood. There was blood on the steering wheel and the interior of the car including extensive saturated bloodstains in the lower left quadrant of the passenger seat, and two shoe prints were on the interior windshield. You can just imagine the violent struggle that must have taken place. The next evening, Stephanie was interrogated at the Placer County Jail at 9.57 p.m. on March 11th. After detectives read her her Miranda rights, Stephanie said she wanted to confess to killing Alicia and admitting to slitting Alicia's throat with a single razor. Stephanie told the detectives that after she picked up Alicia, they went to Richard Hammond's house. Hammond was Alicia's boyfriend. They all sat around smoking meth until about 3.30 a.m. Instead of going home, Stephanie said she drove Alicia to Willerga Road. While Alicia was sitting in the front passenger seat, Stephanie got in the back seat, saying she was going to change her pants. Stephanie then grabbed the razor-sharp wallpaper scraper that she had planted in the back seat earlier and attacked Alicia from behind. While Alicia was still sitting in the passenger seat with her seatbelt on, Stephanie reached around and slit her throat. She continued to slash and cut until Alicia stopped moving. While trapped in her seat by her seatbelt, Alicia must have struggled and fought desperately to escape her attacker, even pushing her feet against the dashboard and windshield. Alicia was too busy trying to stop Stephanie from slashing her throat and face to move her hands down to undo her seatbelt. This must have been terrifying. After the attack, Stephanie pulled Alicia's dead body out of the car. While Alicia lied down on the ground, Stephanie tried to cut off as much of her fingerprints as she could to prevent fingerprint identification. Then Stephanie poured ammonia all over Alicia's body and covered it with garbage to keep it from being discovered. When Stephanie started to leave, she panicked and ended up driving her car into a bush. Stephanie admitted to detectives that she bought the ammonia and the wallpaper scraper 
several weeks earlier, intending to use them on Alicia. Stephanie also claimed that Alicia had poured acid down her throat while she was sleeping six to seven months earlier. She said she has wanted to kill Alicia ever since. Stephanie's boyfriend, Alexander Kapustin, was arrested on an outstanding warrant when he tried to visit her in jail. Kapustin was carrying a newspaper clipping on Stephanie's case, along with a note that he intended to pass her. The note read, Tell me you didn't do that because you still think I mess mess around with her. Kapustin testified that he fought with Stephanie about whether he slept with Alicia, which he denied. Detective Murchison testified that he thought Stephanie held back some information in her confession. Although Stephanie claimed that she had not been to the murder scene before she killed Alicia, her boyfriend, Alexander Kapustin, contradicted her and told Detective Murchison that he and Stephanie had been to the area before. Kapustin also stated that he had no knowledge of Alicia pouring acid down Stephanie's throat. Even though detectives believed Stephanie was withholding some information from her confession, they also believed that most of Stephanie's confession was corroborated by the evidence, such as the bloodstains in her car. Prosecutors charged Stephanie with first-degree murder with a special allegation of lying in wait, based partly on her own extensive confession and conversations with investigators. Stephanie soon learned that if she was convicted of the special allegation of lying in wait, she would receive a life sentence. If she could convince a jury she committed the crime in the heat of passion, she could potentially get off with a voluntary manslaughter charge. So, in an effort to get a lighter sentence, Stephanie changed her story to make it look like a crime of passion instead of premeditated murder. During the trial, recordings of Stephanie's interviews with the detectives were played to the jury, so they were able to hear both versions of her story. At her trial, Prosecutor Garen Horst of the Placer County District Attorney's Office introduced evidence and called witnesses to establish that Stephanie had killed Alicia in a surprise attack. They were able to demonstrate how Alicia was sitting in the front seat with her seatbelt strapped on, completely oblivious to the danger lurking right behind her. Alicia's boyfriend, Richard Hammond, testified that Stephanie and Alicia knocked on his door on the night of March 7, 2008. Hammond was dating Alicia at the time, and had once dated Stephanie as well. Stephanie and Alicia asked Hammond if he had any drugs. Hammond said no, and they left after 30 minutes. Alicia and Stephanie returned to Hammond's house at around 1.30 or 2 a.m. with some meth, which they all smoked in Hammond's garage. The three of them were having a good old time, smoking meth, <laughs> laughing and joking and fooling around. During their little party, Alicia and Stephanie teased and flirted with each other. At one point, Stephanie even got on Alicia's lap. 
Later, the three sat together and watched an adult movie. After the movie, Alicia and Hammond went to the bathroom where they had sex. Hammond also testified that during the party, Alicia confessed to Stephanie that she had watched her having sex with other men when they had previously lived together. He stated that Stephanie's demeanor didn't change a bit after Alicia said this. It appeared that the confession didn't seem to bother Stephanie at all. Alicia and Stephanie left Hammond's house at about 4 a.m. As detailed in her appeals document, Stephanie, dressed in a cream-colored sweater and ankle-length black skirt, took the stand to offer a different take on how the gruesome killing went down. In Monday's day-long testimony, Stephanie rarely looked up and in hushed tones discussed her drug-filled childhood and what she said happened on that fateful night. Stephanie testified that on the night of the murder, she and Alicia went out to celebrate Stephanie's 25th birthday. They started their evening by stopping to buy some gas and beer. Then they went to visit Alicia's boyfriend, Richard Hammond, to buy some drugs. Hammond didn't have any drugs, but they hung out and chatted for a while. Then she and Alicia left to go visit one of Alicia's other friends to see if the person had some meth. As it turns out, they were in luck and bought some meth from this friend. They stayed at the friend's house for a few hours and the three of them smoked meth together. Afterwards, she and Alicia went back to Hammond's house where they hung out for a few hours and smoked some meth with Hammond. The three watched an adult video and at some point, Alicia and Hammond took a shower. Next, Stephanie claims that Alicia started making rude remarks about her and pulled down one of her pant legs exposing her underwear. According to Stephanie, Alicia said she had seen Stephanie having sex with other people before, and she looked foul doing it. And she said Stephanie slept with a lot of other people. Stephanie said this made her feel like crap since it was her birthday and Alicia was supposed to be her friend. She said Alicia kept insulting her even after she asked her to stop. Hammond's story contradicts Stephanie's version of events. Hammond stated that Stephanie didn't appear to be bothered at all by Alicia's comments. Stephanie stated, I didn't know why she was treating me that way. It was just the fact that she was supposed to be my friend. Heck, it was my birthday. On a side note, Stephanie's use of the word heck just sounds so odd. I would expect her to at least say something like, shit. Just thought I would mention that. According to Stephanie, she stood up to leave, saying it was time for her to go home. Alicia offered to go with her. She said Alicia seemed to feel bad about the things she had said earlier, so Stephanie let Alicia come with her. Stephanie was living with her grandmother at the time, and since she was still high on meth, she wanted to make sure her grandmother had already left the house and gone to work. She told Alicia she wanted to go somewhere and kill some time, about 20 minutes, before going home. She ended up driving to an old drinking hangout, an isolated spot on Old Wallerga Road. 
Stephanie testified that while they sat in the car killing time, she had asked Alicia why she had treated her that way. She said that Alicia tried to laugh it off as though it was funny, which made Stephanie feel dirty. Stephanie then told her to shut up and backhanded Alicia in the face. She never suspected I would do it. We just started fighting. She said that during their fight, Stephanie pulled Alicia's sweatshirt hood over her head, reached into a storage area of the driver's seat, grabbed the scraper, and pressed it onto Alicia. She was trying to get me off. She was yelling at me. I don't know what I was thinking. I knew I wanted to hurt her, she said. I just snapped. She described their fight, saying Alicia's feet were over the dash as they struggled. Alicia tried to get her off of her, and they fell out of the passenger side door. Once they were out of the car, Alicia stopped struggling at some point. Stephanie stated that afterwards, I was panicked, kind of shocked. I remember realizing someone was going to get severely hurt during all that. Next, she said she slid the scraper across Ernst's fingers, got ammonia from the back seat, and poured the ammonia over Alicia's entire body. Then she put her gloves and the scraper into a plastic bag and put garbage on top of Alicia's body. When she tried to leave, she got stuck. The plan was to convince jurors that it was her simmering rage at those remarks and not a methodical pre-planned scheme that led Stephanie to slash Elisa Ernst's throat on the outskirts of Roseville on March 8, 2008. Stephanie testified that when the detectives first spoke to her, they questioned her about being attacked, so she went along with the story, even though it wasn't true. But on Monday, during her testimony, Stephanie said her confession of planning the killing months in advance was a lie in order to get the police off her back. In that version of events, Stephanie said she plotted to kill Alicia after Stephanie poured acid down her throat. She said her original confession was false. She felt like she was blaming Alicia if she told the deputies the truth, and Stephanie originally felt she deserved the death penalty. She said she initially gave detectives the more incriminating story about planning the crime because she felt it was what the investigators wanted to hear and because she felt guilty about what she had done. Stephanie claimed she kept the ammonia, trash bags, and rubber gloves in her car because she cleaned houses once a month. She said she purchased the scraper from Home Depot to scrape lettering off a door at her work. Ellen Kukendall, a close friend of Stephanie's grandmother, testified that Stephanie did clean her house at times and would bring ammonia and gloves. According to a co-worker of Stephanie's, their workplace purchased a new door and employees removed the door's old lettering. She admitted there were tools on site for the task and did not recall a scraper being used. Stephanie also admitted arguing with her boyfriend Alexander Kapustin about sleeping with Alicia, but later determined it was a different woman than Alicia, so she couldn't have been upset with Alicia about that. 
in a press release from the Placer County District Attorney's Office. In her initial interview with detectives on March 11, 2008, Stephanie had stated that she planned to kill Alicia because she had allegedly poured acid down her throat. But to this day, not one person other than Stephanie was aware of this alleged incident. At trial, Prosecutor Garen Horst argued that the alleged motive was more complex than revenge for pouring acid down her throat. He stated that her motive involved a long-term resentment of Alicia, culminating on the night of the murder. He contended that Stephanie murdered Alicia out of jealousy and resentment. When Alicia teased and humiliated Stephanie in front of Alicia's boyfriend, Richard Hammond, her insecurities became overwhelming and it pushed her over the edge. Stephanie also believed that Alicia may have had an affair with her former boyfriend, Alexander Kapustin. Because Stephanie is an extremely jealous person, she convinced herself that Alicia stole her boyfriend, Alex. In reality, Alex and Alicia had never even met, so her jealousy is completely unfounded. At Stephanie's meth-fueled birthday party, Alicia makes some cruel jokes at Stephanie's expense. With both women using meth, their behavior towards each other is ugly. Stephanie's insecurities and jealousy are amplified, and Alicia is being uncharacteristically cruel. After two days of deliberations, a jury of eight women and four men found Stephanie Ahrens guilty of the special allegation of lying in wait and then brutally slashing the throat of her best friend. From a Roseville Today article, in an emotionally charged hearing in a Placer County courtroom, Stephanie Nicole Ahrens of Roseville was sentenced to state prison for life without the possibility of parole. The term imposed by Placer County Superior Court Judge Colleen Nichols means that Stephanie will spend the rest of her life in prison. Stephanie sat motionless with tears streaming down her cheeks as the verdict was read. Afterwards, jurors commented, I felt the evidence corroborated her initial confession, said jury foreman Edward Millett. Millett said he wasn't swayed by Stephanie's decision to take the stand. Her testimony was such that she mumbled. She was hard to understand, he said, adding that she had months to think about a new story. Juror Ellen Lersch said if the killing was spontaneous, Stephanie should have had more defense wounds from resisting Alicia. But that wasn't the case, suggesting Stephanie got the element of surprise and Stephanie's reversal didn't pass the smell test, Lersch said. Most people, when they confess, they do tell the truth, she said. Prior to impact statements, Stephanie interrupted the prosecutor, Garen Horst, as he was recapping the crime by telling him to shut up. Garen's outburst drew a verbal reprimand from Judge Nichols, who also had to remind Stephanie's grandmother not to talk about the trial itself when she was giving a statement about her granddaughter to the court. Family members of both the victim and the defendant gave 
tearful statements to the court. Alicia Martins, Alicia's mother, told the court that she was my best friend. I loved her with all my heart. She had unkind words for Stephanie, calling her a cancer who spread ugliness. Stephanie Aaron's I will never forgive you, she told her. While trying to hold back tears and holding a large photograph of her daughter, Alicia Martins told Stephanie that she will never forgive her for killing and mutilating the person she loved so much. Telling her, I wish you would have just cut your own throat and left Alicia alone. As far as I'm concerned, you're like a cancer, Stephanie, like AIDS, you just spread ugliness wherever you go. You must die, Stephanie. I don't care how, just die. Following a statement by Alicia's mother, Stephanie's grandmother, Janet Cross, addressed the court in an aggressive tone that drew several gasps from the courtroom. It could have been the other way around as far as I'm concerned, Cross said. The drugs did this. If they hadn't been doing drugs, this never would have happened. Stephanie's mother, Karen, also spoke briefly, and like Cross, claimed her daughter did not plan the murder. She spoke with reporters after the hearing, saying, This just goes to show how things can happen. I feel sad for the other family, but we both lost our daughters. One's dead, and one's still dying inside. After the impact statements, Placer County Superior Court Judge Colleen Nichols said the crime had caused the devastation of two families. This has been very difficult for you, she told them. I can't imagine your suffering. Stephanie Ahrens is currently serving her sentence at the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla, California. Although prison officials have been trying to improve conditions in recent years, the following behaviors are still occurring. CCWF is known for sexual abuse by prison staff, which includes groping, oral sex, intercourse. Fights between inmates are permitted instead of broken up. Unnecessary force is used. Retaliation against those who complain is expected. And general inmate mistreatment is common. It looks like Stephanie may have found her people. Thanks again for tuning in to Crime Happens. All episodes are researched, written, recorded, and audio mixed by me. Crime Happens is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow or subscribe wherever you listen. Check out my website at crimehappens.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at crime underscore happens. I'll be back very soon with an all new episode. Until then, I wish you well.